Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So I wanted to uh, emphasize what season we find ourselves in. We are in the season of Lent, and if you've had any uh, history around any sort of church or whatever, Lent, you may have some baggage with that, or you may not even know what it is. It's basically just a season of time. And Lent comes from a Latin word which means to lengthen our days. And so you notice in the physical, the nights are starting to get uh, a little bit shorter. The sun is not quite going down at 4.30 in the afternoon, as we've seen during uh, the winter, but we're lengthening our days. And this Lent, uh, we've chosen uh, to spend the 40 days in devotion, consecration, and fasting. And what that looks like is that we are together um, going, some people are going without food for a day. Uh, Sarah and I would never invite you into something that we're not already doing ourselves. Uh, I'm doing liquids only this, this time around, but if, Evan, if you wanted to run that video, if you have not signed up to be a part of the fast, there is still time to do that. It might look a little bit different for you. It might be like you are giving up social media for these next 40 days. But the commonality in signing up for devotion and fasting is the same. It's to grow closer to Jesus. And we really believe that over the next 40 days, we're going to experience something of his heart and his life for us. I don't think we have the video, but all you have to do is go to our website and click the QR code and you can sign up. There are different suggested fasts um, and maybe the thing that you feel the Lord calling you to give up for Lent is not listed in the recommended fast. There's a space where you can just write it in. We were pleasantly surprised to see how many of you have already signed up. And I know there are even more of you out there who are doing it but you're just not telling anybody. Um, But we had over 30 people last Sunday sign up to fast. And the the thing about the sign up is simply, it's not like Tim McLaren and I are like the fasting police. We're not like, are you? Are you really? Uh, But it's more of a community thing where you, you don't have to do it alone. And there's a real power in going together as opposed to going Alone, And so what you do when you sign up is you get a weekly encouragement, a weekly email, a video from Tim or I, and there's a daily Bible reading plan. We want to encourage you to get into the Word of God over these next 40 days. Um, And so you can click the QR code there. You can see Kaylee back at the kiosk station, but we'd really love to have you join us. And then on Monday nights, we're providing an opportunity for worship and prayer. We had our first one on Monday, and the presence of God was just really thick in the room, and we were able to just slow down and let the Lord nourish us during this time of going without. Um, He becomes truly the bread of life for us. And so I want to encourage you to go to the Lenten nights of prayer and worship as well. The series is called Empty, and as the preaching team and I got together and envisioned the message series, we sort of had this picture of us journeying towards the cross and ultimately the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday and the work that God does in the emptiness and that it's his desire to fill us. 
You know, there's not one person on the face of the planet who doesn't experience a hunger for God. We were designed with this deep hunger within us. The great uh, August, uh, Augustine put it this way as he prayed to God. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We have a hunger deep within our hearts. There's an empty place in our souls that only God can fill, is what Augustine is saying. The psalmist puts it this way. He says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? There's a depth to us, each one of us. If you have a heartbeat, you have depth to you, a complexity to you that we find hard or difficult to adequately express with words. But each one of us feels it. Some people use the phrase sometimes rock bottom. They said, I've hit rock bottom in my life. Or some people might say, I've come to the end of my rope. I think what I'm learning in these seasons is that the depth of our souls, this emptiness, um, there is no bottom. Likewise, with the glory of God, there is no height to which it's like capped. I'll explain a little bit more of that in a minute. But Blaze, our good friend Blaze, puts it this way. Blaze Pascal said this. A lot of quotes up front. Sorry, we're going to do some of the heavy lifting up front. Blaze puts it this way. He says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness? We have that slide there? Yeah, there it is. Of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. The infinite abyss, the depth of emptiness inside of our souls is that we cannot reach the bottom. And what Pascal is saying is that the chasm within each one of us is so great and was made that way by God to be filled only by Him. It's so great because it's only meant to be filled by the person of Jesus, by God Himself. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. We weren't made for this place. That depth of soul you sense inside is a desire really for another place. And a layer deeper than that is a desire for a person, a being, relationship. I was drawn this week to the very beginning of creation in the scriptures as I prepared. And what I found is that this depth or this emptiness that we sense, it's nothing new to us here in Cleveland, Ohio today. It's been around forever. In the opening verses of scripture, Moses tells us the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering 
over the face of the waters. When God created at the very beginning, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around what these first two verses in the first two pages of Scripture are trying to convey to us. But it says something very deep and insightful about who God is. It's hard for us to see the world without form or void or just this darkness. And then there's some aviary language here with the spirit, the ruach of God hovering above the waters, brooding, as it were, above the waters in the same way as Jesus is baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. All through the first chapter of Genesis, we read and it goes towards the pinnacle of God's creation in verse 28. As God blessed Adam and Eve and he says to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill. Multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The question in the garden as Adam and Eve choose willingly to lean out of relationship, to lean towards being providers for themselves, to lean into disobedience, is the same question that faces us here this morning. The problem is that instead of turning to God and letting Him be the one who fills our souls, we turn to other things, pleasure, Fame, money, sex, drugs, alcohol. Some people turn to false philosophies or religions, hoping that these things will lead them to ultimate truth and fill that empty place in their lives. And for a time, they may think that it's working. That the thing that they're seeking that's not Jesus is actually working to fill that emptiness that they sensed before. They think they've found what they're looking for, but in the end, they're just as empty as they ever were. Whose story is that this morning? You know. Only God can satisfy our inner hunger, and He will. As we turn to Him, and by faith we open our hearts, our lives, we sense Christ's transforming power because it's true about God. He doesn't want us to wander through life confused, constantly wondering who we are or why we're here. But Christ came into the world to bring us back to God. And He will as we commit our lives to Him. The question this morning is this. The same one in the garden. What or who do we choose to fill the emptiness we feel inside with? What do we do with the seasons or times when we feel empty? The theme of emptiness and fullness is not just unique to the first chapter of the Bible. It's actually one of the main themes of the entire Scripture narrative. You can find it in places like later in Genesis where we find Sarah and Abraham. And Sarah is well along in years and her womb is empty. But God comes to her and says, You, Abraham and Sarah, will be the father 
of many nations. You, you are the chosen people. And Sarah, in this emptiness of age and in her belly, laughs at God. How can that be? How can that be? Mary, in the New Testament, the same way. How can that be? Mary says, I'm a virgin. How can it be that Jesus will come through an empty womb way back in Genesis with Sarah, Jesus being in the line of David, Father Abraham, and through Mary's womb, who is a virgin? This theme of emptiness to fullness runs the entirety of the Hebrew story, of Jesus' story. Perhaps the best example of this is that of Naomi in this little book tucked away in the Old Testament called Ruth. Now, some of you may be familiar with the story of Ruth, the book of Ruth, but for those of you who are not, this is going to be a quick and probably insufficient synopsis of the book, so bear with me. But what we find in the book of Ruth is this, that at the start of the book, we read how Naomi and her family went to live in the neighboring country of Moab. And right from the outset, tragedy strikes that family. From the get-go, Naomi is in loss. She loses both her husband and her sons. After which, she returns to her hometown, where? Bethlehem. As she travels with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, she decides to change her name in this feeling of emptiness. Her name, Naomi, means sweetness. And when she gets back to home, to Bethlehem, she proclaims, I think with a little bit of bitterness, well, probably a lot, she's going through grief for crying out loud. She's upset with God. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore. My name is Mara which means bitterness. And then we get to it, this little gem that's tucked away in the first chapter of the book of Ruth. And Naomi says this, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. This woman who's in pain, who's just lost her husband and both of her sons, travels back to her place of birth and to all of the folks who have seen her grow up. She says, I went out full. It started really great. But the Lord brought me back empty. And there's some pointing of blame at God there too, isn't there? That it wasn't just something that happened, but God did this to me. I wonder how many of us feel exactly like Naomi this morning. That you would say of your life, in this season, I went away full. It started good. Back when I was a kid, you might say, 
For some of you, your childhood might have been ultra-traumatic. And you might say, it wasn't even good from the start. And the Lord has brought me back empty. I wonder how many of you, in a bit of transparency and honesty, would say that with Ruth this morning. For Naomi, the work of God seems to have brought her to a place of emptiness instead of fullness. She appears to have lost her fullness. And not just appears, she placed her fullness in her husband and in her sons and people. And she lost them. And so when they were taken, her fullness was gone and she was empty. See that? For whatever her heart's motivation was, she lost her fullness. And she'd been left with empty hands and an empty heart. She's got nothing. And she comes back home and she proclaims to these people, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And it's quite possible for us here this morning to feel much the same way as well. Sure, we hear the promises of fullness in in Jesus' words, straight from his lips in John 10.10. You guys all know it. I have come that they may have life. And not just life, but life overflowing, bubbling over life. We just celebrated abundant life this morning. We read his words. Clearly they say and express Jesus' desire for us. But so oftentimes our experience in life is the exact opposite. And we're left pointing the finger at Jesus saying, what gives? What gives? I'm experiencing grief, loss, depression, disappointment, discouragement, rejection. These are just a a few of life's difficulties that can leave us feeling empty. All of us do. We feel it. If our experience seems to be one of emptiness, then it's good to remember that Naomi's story does not end after chapter 1 is over. The books, uh, the book of Ruth and the events that are found there, we would think are mainly about Ruth. But they're also about Naomi's journey from emptiness to fullness. Emptiness at the beginning, fullness at the end. She enters Bethlehem in chapter 1 with empty hands. And in the final chapter, her hands are literally full with the child of Ruth and Boaz, who is a type of Jesus, the kinsman redeemer. He's, he uh, fulfills his duty, Boaz does, and redeems the family. And thus Naomi goes from emptiness to literally her arms being filled with this baby from Ruth and Boaz. Was Naomi empty at the start of the book? For sure. But, but, you guys feel the turning point? Here we go. God was not finished with Naomi yet.
That's hard to see when you feel empty inside. That God is not finished with you either. She was empty, but that was not her destiny. Nor is it ours. You see, if there's one thing, I know we're jumping around quote to quote, verse to verse, we're tucked in the book of Ruth. If there's one thing, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this, listen and listen well. The good news is this. Empty is where God does his best work. Just one of you? Really? Really? Empty is where God does his best work. As we said last week, it's the secret place. The work of God is hidden most times from our eyes. It's in secret. The work of God, like creation, is brooding over the darkness. The work of God is in empty. The good news for us this morning is that if you feel empty inside, you're perfectly positioned for Jesus' fullness. I'm not just speaking in riddles and like uh, kitschy sayings. This is where the work of God gets done. God does his best work in the empty places. And so if you feel that chasm within you, it is a sign that you're going the right way and perfectly positioned to experience Jesus presence in your life, even when it doesn't feel like it, or look like it, or seem like it on the outside, in your life, in your relationships, within, within your soul, in your relationships, at your workplace, in the world today, the empty places are the exact places that Jesus wants to come and fill. A friend sent me this wonderful poem this past week, and I don't know why I didn't think of it. It's from one of my favorite theologians, and some might call him a mystic. His name is Meister Eckhart. He's a German theologian and philosopher, and he puts it this way. This is the goodness, you guys. Look at this. So you want to find God? Empty yourself of everything your worries and your hopes, your wishes and your fears. For when you are finally empty, catch it, God will find you. Because God cannot tolerate emptiness and will come to fill you with himself. Eckhart goes on to express it this way. When I learn to let go of who I think I am and relinquish all I think I need to be, You, God, cannot resist entering my heart and do. For when I let go of thinking that my life belongs to me is mine, you finally have room to make it yours and cannot help but to come fill what is empty. For you want only my nothingness, and to that you give your allness. And so I shall know your heart as mine and mine as yours." Come on, you guys. Empty is where God does his best work. And I love what he says that we search so hard to find God. But the truth is, is that when we recognize and acknowledge and come to grips with the 
the, certain, the, the reality that we're empty, we don't have to search for God because God will find us. And that's all of our stories, right? There's no getting in the kingdom filled. The way to get in the kingdom is empty. You have to be empty to get in. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. Jesus didn't come for the fool. He came for the empty, would be the Brusco paraphrase right there. You got to be empty to get in. And when we come to grips with that and simply are that before God, what Eckhart is expressing is that we won't have to search for him anymore. We'll find that it's him who's been searching for us all along. And furthermore, in that pursuit, we find that we never really wanted him as much as he desired to be with us. That his desire to be with us so eclipses our desire to be with him that he would come even in our emptiness and to, and to fill us. That's amazing, you guys. That is amazing. Okay. Where are we at? Jesus said, speaking of his own death, but certainly the nature of resurrection itself, that unless a kernel dies and goes into the ground, it cannot produce a seed or, or a plant. And what he's saying, Jesus, in this moment, is that he's saying, you need to be empty to be filled. And I believe that's God, God's heart for us here this morning. Is that it's not necessarily a bad thing to be empty. To feel that. That's the exact place that God wants to meet us today. And that's where the whole thing is headed. The whole thing is headed towards fullness. It may not look like it. But the truth is, is that the worst thing is not the last thing. That Jesus' death on the cross, which we'll commemorate on Good Friday, and certainly we're heading with Jesus towards the cross, the worst thing is not the last thing. It's actually not the end at all. It's simply the beginning. And we can transpose that onto our lives of following Jesus. If you claim Jesus this morning, it means that your life is hidden with him. That you've been buried with him. You've been crucified with him. And the whole thing is headed towards fullness, even though it doesn't look like it. Another little book that's tucked away in the Old Testament is by this prophet named Habakkuk. And he tells us God's desire for the earth, not just for us. He tells us God's heart. He says the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's where this thing is headed. And it starts at the cross. 
It starts at the cross. The Holy Spirit, the same Spirit, Paul says, lives in us, raised Jesus from the grave, animated His life, on the cross, forgiving every sin, every emptiness filled at the cross, every sin, past, present, and future. And the Holy Spirit raises Him from the grave, as the first of many who will experience the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. No gaps, no chasms, no crevices, no canyons, no spaces to fill. The glory of God settling over all the earth, over every heart, The glory of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's good news. That's good news to me to know that the things that I see, the things that I experience, the emptiness that I sense inside are only temporary. And although I don't see the culmination fullness now, I know because Jesus is faithful to his word. And that one day, every gap will be filled. One day, every canyon deeper than the Grand Canyon will be filled. Every wrong will be made right. Every place of death will be animated to life. Every sickness will be healed. Every tear will be wiped away from every face. Every point of trauma will be restored. All things, all things rise, especially the empty ones. Why don't you join me in standing? If you are this morning here feeling a sense of emptiness in your life, but have yet to acknowledge that, I want to encourage you to bring that nothing to God. You might have said, I've been a Christian for 20 years, and yet I still feel empty inside. Or you might be hearing the good news of who Jesus is, for the first time this morning. But the gospel is this. The gospel is this. The good news is this, is that Jesus, the chosen Messiah, the promised one of God, came down and willingly laid his life down. Was not a victim. Laid it down for you and for me on the cross and took that emptiness upon himself to cover and to fill you this morning. He didn't just stay dead. As we said, the power of the Holy Spirit animates Jesus just as the Holy Spirit hovered over the deep at the very beginning. The Holy Spirit in the tomb animates Jesus' body and brings him back to life. 
And then he doesn't just stop there. He raises. He ascends to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father now. And this morning, maybe you've heard the gospel before. Maybe you've heard it plenty of times before. Maybe you're like, I don't know if this, this is real. I don't, th- come on, really? I'm telling you, it's not an opportunity for that, for you to do that again. This is an opportunity that God has given you to respond. To respond to the good news. That that emptiness that you sense inside has a remedy. And it's not found in anything else but the person of Jesus. You can search and search and search. But the only person or thing that can fill that emptiness inside of you is Jesus himself. So I want to encourage you to let Jesus fulfill what he came here to do in you.